0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blaming on the Aliens. I'm your host. And as spooky season is quickly approaching, it's already here in my book, which I'm very excited about. I had to set the mood with some very terrifying, creepy encounters, Reddit stories. So let's get into it. I will never go back there again. Before my best friends and I were separated, one passed away and the other moved away. We used to ride around doing all of the haunted legend places within reasonable driving distances. Sometimes we'd drive a few hours, but most of them weren't scary. Other than the adrenaline-filled hyped up, did you hear, see that? That would cause us to get spooked. This one was different, way different. We were just out of high school, probably 20 at most, and we were looking for an actually scary place to visit. A lot of the people we knew knew we were into these kinds of things, so we would always get tips on where to go. There was the original three of us that day, and another friend that wanted to tag along, After a little drive to our destination, about 45 minutes, we stopped at a Wawa to get gas and grab a few snacks. Like I stated earlier, we were all about 20 at the time, so we were all hyped up because we knew spooky time was getting close. We'd always pick on that other friend that tagged along. Nothing harsh, just, Ah, you're so scared. So I believe it was me that said something along those lines and was overheard by a few people. It got the attention of a few people in Wawa, including these two creepy older guys who seemed like they just didn't fit in. Their clothes were all beat up and dirty and they just didn't seem right for the area. In time it was, maybe 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. "'What's the little one scared of?' asked one of the guys." I say little because the three of us are abnormally tall. The shortest between us three was 6'4", and he was normal height, probably around 5'9". We replied and explained how we got tipped to go to this road because it's haunted. They replied that it wasn't that scary, and if we wanted a real scare, that we should go to this random road. I forget what it was called exactly, but... Apparently, there's this random memorial statue for a plane crash in the middle of the woods that crazy things are supposed to happen at. We grabbed our stuff and didn't think anything of it. As soon as we left, the group started talking and decided to go with the other road that those guys hyped up. I know, a typical horror movie, what not to do. So we get to the entrance of the road and it already did not disappoint woods on both sides, not a damn streetlight in sight. And I remember there was like a detention center off to the right in the middle of nowhere. So the spooks already began the second we hit the entrance. We decided to drive down the road and search for the statue. And we noticed that there were trees cut down on the side of the road and laying parallel to the shoulder of the road. We finally find the statue. About five minutes go by of silence, and we decided to enhance the scare factor by shutting the lights off. About a minute goes by, and we see a shadow figure pop out from the statue. We all freak out as it starts walking towards us, but it was making movements that no human would normally be capable of. But it was dark out, and this thing was black. It was dark. Darker than the woodsy sky, so we could not make sense of it. This thing was huge. Like I said earlier, we were all extremely large compared to the average guy, but this thing would have dwarfed any of us. We decide to peel out of there and continue down the road, figuring it would lead us out of there. Boy, were we wrong. About three minutes go by and we hit a dead end which in this case was an open spot in the woods with sand everywhere. The cutout was massive, but surrounded by woods. There were different cutouts and ways to go from there, and I'm pretty sure the road continued after this cutout, but we were pretty deep in the woods at this point. So we decided to turn around there and obviously leave. After we turn around, we stop just to take in the eerie feeling. The other three guys were talking about the shadow we saw earlier, while I happened to catch something out of the corner of my eye. About 40 feet away from me, I see what appears to be a white face and then another and another, all surrounding the car. The other guys didn't see them and I'm rarely ever the one scared, but seeing me panic, they knew something was up. And my panic caused them to panic. All panicking now. We then floor it far away from the sand turnaround. We get about half a mile down the road, somewhat near the statue, and pull over to gather our composure to get out of there. When we stopped, I swear I heard that typical ghost noise. This was now turning into a movie I wish I was never a part of. So we're really scared now. And after finding the way we came, we started heading back out. Remember those trees I talked about earlier? They were now laying in the middle of the road, blocking us in. As we all see the white faces, masks that I saw earlier. Thank God my one friend, the driver, was good at driving and valued safety over his car. We drove on the edge of the woods for what felt like we were defying gravity to speed our way out. The car was literally sideways on the edge of the woods. I mean, I could literally stick a finger out the window and touch the trees. We all made it home safely that night. And after doing research, we found out that that spot was notorious in the area for crazy things happening, such as body dumps and murders. Because of the shadow and the ghost noise we heard, my head, heart, and gut tells me that that place is actually haunted. As previously stated, that place is famous for dumping bodies along with a plane crash 100 years ago. I mean, there's bound to be some spirits there. Again, I think where we were that night was actually haunted. We just happened to be there on a night where there was more than that going on can't help but think that that evil looking shadow from the statue was actually an angel in disguise trying to scare us away from the doom that was upon us. I can't say for certain, but I'm 99% sure we survived one of their setups that night. But what I'm 100% sure I will do is never go back there again. Do not let your Uber driver cancel your ride while in the car. I went dancing with friends and was really drunk by midnight. Unfortunately, this was back when I had little money, and I realized you could save money by eating very little before going out, and it would take far fewer drinks to get drunk. So... I was so drunk, I I barely remember my friend ordering me an Uber home, and my phone was dead, of course. I can vaguely recall them helping me into the car and telling me to get home safe, but I don't remember greeting the driver or the first minute or so. But soon after getting in, he asked how my night was and if I smoked. Honestly, I was just thinking about bed at this point, so I sort of just slurred out like I did sometimes. He then offered me a joint. And this is the first moment I get sort of nervous and begin paying attention. I tell him something like, I'm really tired and just ready to get home. I think he said something about it being an indica-based joint and made it great for sleep. Once again, I say something not exactly like no, but not a yes, which he takes as a, yes, I'll take that joint now. Once again, I'm still drunk enough, I can barely see straight or speak clearly. So when he says, okay, well, I have to cancel the ride really quick because I can't give it to you while I'm on the clock or something to that effect. And it takes me a second to realize how dangerous that is. And by the time I start to say something, He has canceled the ride and pulls over. We were in an area just east of the Hawthorne Bridge, I think, and it was totally secluded. Some empty parking lots, a closed auto body shop, no one in sight. It's starting to hit me that I'm now in the car, not with an Uber driver, but with some stranger. I can't call anybody, and he's trying to give me weed that could have anything in it. For the next minute or so, we're pretty quiet, or I just can't remember any small talk he tried to make because I was beginning to panic. And every time he handed me the joint, I would take fake hits, just breathing it into my mouth and not into my lungs. I felt tired, clumsy, and weak. That kind of drunk where you're almost at the point of nausea and I knew I couldn't do much of anything to defend myself at that point. I remember vividly being fixated for a moment on the fact that I didn't even have a pair of keys to defend myself with, as my building used fobs for just about everything and I didn't take my mail key with me. As I'm freaking out, I look up to see if this guy is sort of noticing and I make eye contact with them in the mirror. He was staring at me, but I couldn't read his expression. Finally, he says something along the lines of, well, let's get out of here. I tell him I'll just call another Uber to get home, thinking at this point it might even be safer to walk. And he says, no, I still have your address. I'll just take you home. And for a moment, I was relieved. I guess I wanted to believe him so badly that I would get home safe and just believed him. I tried to calm myself down, thinking he actually hadn't done anything threatening. Maybe he was just your typical stoner guy and I'm overreacting. At this time, I lived on PSU campus in downtown Portland in the southwest area of the city. He's driving me north on the east side of the river and there are several bridges to our left. And as he keeps moving north, he has several opportunities to take an exit to hop over the river and get me back downtown. But he keeps skipping them. And we keep passing bridge after bridge that could get me home. Up in northeast Portland, there are some large industrial areas that can get very isolated at night. And Portland is generally surrounded by lots of forest. So I knew he could have me in a secluded area in really quick second after he passes like the fourth exit for the bridge pretty sure it was the broadway bridge i've been racking my brain for a way to make him actually take me home and say something to the effect of hey my boyfriend's waiting for me at home which was true though i said it in a very meek way my driver says nothing but he did take the next exit for a bridge and basically hung a giant U-turn then started taking me home. Even as we're on the west side of the town heading south, I'm still shaking and have my hand on the door handle, thinking about just hopping out at a red light the closer we get to my apartment. My phone is completely dead and he honestly still has several chances to hop onto nearby highways and speed out of the city. We're getting pretty close to my apartment now, and I'm once again trying to convince myself I'm being paranoid about some stoner that can't navigate the city. Although, a few times before, I was so scared, I was crying. So once we get two blocks from my apartment, I lie and tell him it's easier to stop here and he can just let me out. Again, he doesn't say anything but does slow the car, and I'm flooded with relief and even feel myself smile. But when I go to unlock the door, I can't. It's locked. I try to lift the lock mechanism manually, but it won't budge. I look up at him instinctually to see what's up, and he's got his head turned almost fully toward me, shoulders still facing the road, smiling at me. The worst fucking smile I've ever seen. It looked so mocking and it just did not reach his eyes at all. I just started crying and asking him to open the door. I was so freaked out and still very drunk and thank God he did. I will never forget the sensation of vulnerability, not just being drunk in his car with no way to contact anybody, but even as I got out of the car, I kept feeling like he would somehow grab the back of my shirt and pull me back in, as silly as that sounds. When I got home, I found out my boyfriend had actually gone out with friends last minute and wasn't even home. He wouldn't have even known till much later if I hadn't gotten back safe. The next day, I convinced myself I was freaking out over nothing, which I realized still could be the case. But in my gut, I had truly felt in danger that night. Technically, this guy could have been totally harmless, but I still think I should have texted my friend and had her report him. The big thing that made me think of this was recently hearing about how Ed Kemper, co-ed killer, would go for practice runs, picking up hitchhikers and seeing if he could get the passenger potential victims to trust him or how far out of his comfort zone he could push them without them saying anything. Obviously, this guy wasn't Ed Kemper, but I hate wondering if that night was a practice run of sorts for my Uber driver. Thanks to whoever reads this whole thing through, I'm at a point in my life where i am realizing how much danger I put myself in when I was younger and just depressed as hell. And it's made me both surprised and deeply grateful I'm still here. Scary moment, dropping off my coworker. This happened in late 2015. I was working as a graphic designer for a very small startup company in rural New York state. Just four of us in a rented building, the owner shared with the computer repair shop. I was the only female, which was fine. A nice group of geeky sweethearts. I'd been there maybe a month and worked closely with the web programmer. He was a young fella, around 23, and a gentle giant type. Tall, husky, muscular guy with tattoos and a shaved head, but super sweet and laid back. We'd often take smoke breaks and shoot the shit. I didn't know much about his home life other than he'd just moved in with his new girlfriend. She'd usually pick him up after work, but if she worked late, he had to walk home by himself along the highway in the dark. When we found this out, the boss immediately started offering him lifts. I wondered what his situation was lost car or license, but didn't want to put him on the spot to ask. He was kind of shy. Anyway, time passes, and one day the boss wasn't in, so I offer to drive him home. His rental is a small house behind a boarded-up car wash in the boonies. He had to drive down a short, dark, private road to get to it. You would never have known the place existed were you just driving by, and we shoot the shit for a minute in the car and finish our smokes. I tell him I'll see him tomorrow, and that's when it got weird. He looked at the house for several seconds, quiet, not moving to open the door at all. He said, yeah, and this strange resigned voice then slowly turned his head to look at me. Now, you have to realize in real life, People almost never slowly turn their heads to look at you. You cannot imagine how fucking creepy it is until someone actually does it to you. Add the fact that you are a 120-pound woman and he's a huge guy in a parked car behind an abandoned car wash in the pitch fucking dark with no other houses in sight. This was not the look a guy gives you, say, after a first date when he wants a kiss. It was so off and not an awkward or shy kind of off. He looked at me in the kind of way you look in your cupboard when you can't decide what to eat or if you should be eating anything at all. His mouth was slightly open and he was staring me straight in the face with a slight squint as if struggling hard to figure something out. But it was me who was the thing. That sudden shift of being looked at like a thing, not like an amicable co-worker he'd been laughing with, bullshitting with, and getting to know over the past month scared the shit out of me. In less than a minute, he had gone from his normal self into a state of tense, dissociated, slow motion. He actually looked bigger to me as well. I asked if he was okay, and after maybe 15 long seconds, he looked back to the house, either sighed or gave another resigned, yeah, and finally got out of the fucking car. Needless to say, I did not plan on giving him any more rides, but a week later, it didn't matter. He blew his brains out with a shotgun on the front porch of that rental house. His poor girlfriend was inside waiting for him to finish a cigarette. It was then from his family that we finally got the backstory. He'd been a newly sober alcoholic with DUIs from earlier in the year that explained the no car situation. He'd also had several injuries from car wrecks and blackouts over the years, the last actually resulting in two small permanent dents in his skull, which I'd noticed. The buildup of brain injuries had done far more damage than sobriety could reverse. His girlfriend admitted that ever since his last accident, he'd had intrusive violent fantasies and impulses that he had never experienced before of hurting others and himself. And can you imagine where my mind went after hearing that? It's certainly my creepiest personal experience, though when I think of it today, all I can feel is sorrow for this Poor kid who'd barely started his life. In the end, strong enough to fight the demons demanding others' lives, but not his own. How Tinder set me up with a murderer. So, you know how your grandparents are always telling you not to trust people that you meet on the internet? And none of us listen? Because, I mean, it's 2022 and that's how people get to know each other nowadays. Well, they might have a point. Here's the story of how I accidentally went on a date with a murderer. Some background information is needed to understand why I didn't see the red flags at first. At this time, I was still working to get over the grief of my late boyfriend. I had just started trying to date again, And after zero luck the old-fashioned way, I decided I would give Tinder a try. So after a few weeks of talking to a few people, I decided I'm ready to try an actual date. And there was this one specific guy who seemed nice, so I figured, why not? We'll call him Jack for the story. We planned to meet up that Friday And my roommate was really weird about people knowing where we lived. So with that in mind, I got him to meet me at Walmart. And looking back, thank God I did. He picks me up and opens the door for me and everything was sweet, a little shy and soft spoken, but nice all around. He takes me to a local steakhouse and everything is going good. While we were there, though, he all of a sudden got really quiet and stuff when a few people walk in. I figured it must be because of an old girlfriend or something like that, which made him awkward. Well, I figured it didn't hurt to ask, so I did. And he looked at me with a little ashamed look and told me it was his therapist, that he was getting help in order to get over the loss of someone. And to me who was actively in therapy since my boyfriend had passed, it was like, wow, we might have more in common than I thought. So we finished dinner without much more conversation about the therapist. But when we got into the car, curiosity got the better of me. So I asked who it was that had passed. And Jack told me that he had been in therapy since his wife had passed away unexpectedly, which was a surprise to me because he had never told me that he'd been married before. But still, I was grieving a boyfriend. And I thought, wow, he really does have the potential to understand what I'm going through. So I decided to give him some more detail about my grief and what happened with my loss. And in return, he shared his story. And this is where I started seeing some red flags. The first thing I noticed was the tone of voice he used when he started talking about his now-deceased wife. There was no feeling, no sadness in his voice. He was a very monotone and talked about it like he had rehearsed what he was going to say and what he was going to leave out. Well, he got to the part of the story where he told me how she died, and things just did not add up. From what he told me, this is how she died. Just the two of them went riding in the country. While riding, a disagreement came up and he parked the truck while they were fighting. At some point, they got out of the car, still arguing, and she somehow gets around him. Mind you, this man looks like a bodybuilder and is at least 250 pounds and six feet. But anyways, she somehow gets around him to the driver's seat and pulls out his gun and starts threatening to kill herself. And long story short, in his words, when she did it, she was so close to me that blood splattered all over my face and body. Mind you, he sounded like a robot while saying all of this. And then he just jumps into how his wife's parents are trying to take his daughter away from him because of this. And let me tell you, this news really threw me off too, because I didn't know he had a child either. So at this point, I'm like, well, how long has this been if they're still in like custody battles? And it had been only three weeks. Do you know what I was going through three weeks after my boyfriend died? Literally, I couldn't get off the couch and participate in real life. The absolute last thing on my mind was trying to find someone new. I mean, shit. At this point, it had almost been a year and I was still stressed out about trying to date again. And this man didn't even wait a month after his wife and the mother of his child died right in front of him. So obviously red flags are going off. And I get him to take me to my car and we say goodnight and all of that. I get home to my roommate and her boyfriend and I'm telling them about all of this. And they have family in law enforcement and have more detailed information about the guy. Well, obviously from the information about him, he is the prime suspect in the murder of his wife. No one thinks it was a suicide or an accident. And of course, at this point, I am freaking out because he's texting me, telling me what a great time he had and how he wants to go on a second date. With a lot of coaching from them, I pull the good old, it's not you, it's me line. And then after testing it on my friends to make sure it didn't notify him, I block his number and Snapchat and even his profile on Tinder. Tinder. I was so scared. So about an hour goes by. My roommate had to run to town for something, so it's me and her boyfriend at the house. Before she left, we had started watching scary movies, so that's what I was doing, and her boyfriend had gone in the back to take a shower. Another detail you need to know is that we lived out in a country road with no neighbors. So when I'm in the living room, and all of a sudden I hear car door slam, and it's not possibly my roommate, and the dogs start going crazy. I start freaking out. I run to my roommate's room to get her boyfriend out of the shower. He hears me panicking and bust out in a towel, yelling at me to close all the blinds on the windows and go get in my closet. So that's what I do. While I'm doing that, he's trying to explain to me that his uncle, who was the one in law enforcement, texted him telling him that I needed to be careful because he's convicted and that they have had to put restraining orders against him for two other girls in the last week. So not to anger him. And of course, all I can think about is how I just blocked him after giving him a BS story and how that probably angered him. My roommate's boyfriend goes outside with his pistol to check around the house to make sure no one was there and that we were safe. Thank God we were. To this day, we don't know what the noises were or why the dogs were going crazy. But all of this is to say, our grandmas might be right. The internet is clearly a dangerous place sometimes and before you think, oh, this couldn't happen to me, I look them up and I do research. So do I. I looked him up, and I asked any of my friends if they knew him. But here's the kicker. You know how I said his name was Jack? Well, turns out he typically goes by Jackson, but had started going by Jack, so it was harder to find all of this information on him with a simple Facebook or Google search. This date could have ended so much worse for me. I could have ignored the red flags and even gotten into a relationship with him or something. I could have died too. So listen to your grandma next time. Followed on the subway. This happened to me in the summer of 2015. I was dating a guy who lived in the city and I was living at home at the time in the suburbs. Neither of us had a car and since I lived at home with my bedroom right next to my grandma's, I always went to him. I would take the subway to his place every week and stay for a couple of days I had off from work. To get to his apartment required taking two trains. One day I was headed to see him It was super hot out and I was wearing a skirt with straps, a crop top and knee high socks. I wanted to look cute. I guess I feel like this is important as I probably stood out in this outfit and unfortunately I probably should have been more careful about what I was wearing which sucks. Anyway, I'm on the first train and after a few stops I notice a man get on. I kind of couldn't not notice him as he chose to stand right in front of where I was sitting and stare at me rather than take an empty seat. It made me feel weird and the man in general gave me a very creepy vibe. He was probably in his forties, looked unkempt, but otherwise kind of just a basic looking white dude whose face I can't even picture now. So... I get off at the last stop and head through the station to where I need to catch the second train. But I noticed this guy is following me, which at first I figured wasn't a big deal. I mean, he could have just been going to the same place. So to get to the platform I needed to be, you have to go up some stairs and I realize he's right behind me. I decided to turn around and go to a different platform which happened to be packed with people, thinking if he follows me, then this is bad, but maybe I can lose him in the crowd. He follows me and I try to duck out of view before going back to the actual platform I needed to be waiting on. I get there and for a few minutes, I feel better until I see him again. He must've known I'd be there after I'd gone up there and then turned around. Plus, it was the only other platform and most likely he saw me the whole time. There weren't too many people waiting compared to the other side, but a few trains came that were so full I didn't even bother to try to get on, and neither did he. The whole time, I'm texting my boyfriend who is not taking me seriously at all. I asked he at least meet me at the station when I got to the stop by his apartment, a five-minute walk. And he was reluctant, but finally agreed. At this point, though, I'm still waiting for a train. And one comes that's very full, but I'm getting restless and want to get to a safe place. So I squeeze on, and so does the man right next to me with his arm over me. I decide that even with all of these people around, I am not safe. So right before the doors close, I hop out and the train leaves with the guy on it staring at me as it pulls away. I waited for a few more trains to come and go, worried the guy would be waiting for me at the next stop or something. I got on a train finally, paying attention to everyone who got on at each stop. He never did and I made it to my stop greeted by my boyfriend who seemed put out by having to walk over. He's an ex-boyfriend and was generally very shitty. I'm really proud of myself for getting off that train at the last second and I don't know how much danger I was in but I know that that man was following me and definitely wasn't for any wholesome reason. And despite being in public, I feel like if he had tried anything, no one would have done shit and I'm a very small and not strong person. I hung out with a murderer and had no clue. A little bit of backstory. In my late teens, think 18 to 19 years, I was no longer getting along with my parents and decided to move out. I wasn't able to get very many hours at my job due to being a full-time college student. Which meant, at my already minimum wage job, the very few hours I got didn't give me much money. And due to my limited funding, my now ex-boyfriend's mother invited me to live with them. Now, on to the actual story. My now ex and his mom were very strange people. I later found out it was because him and her were on very large amounts of drugs. Let's call her L and him B to avoid issues. Anyways, L and B had a lot of very strange friends that sometimes would come and stay at our house for weeks, not days, weeks. I was always taught to be polite to guests and growing up, even if they weren't, Your guest, or even if they were overstaying their welcome, you were to be polite, which is possibly why things in this situation happened the way they did. Elle had decided since it was Saturday she was going to go to the grocery store, and B had gone with her. I was asked to come along, but wanted some space, so opted to stay home and be alone. I was unaware. We had a guest at the time and was slightly shocked when I came out of mine and B's bedroom to find a woman around my age chilling on the couch. Out of politeness, I greeted her and made small talk while pouring myself a bowl of cereal. We quickly became friends due to similar interest and similar taste in music and movies. Everyone else hated scary movies except for her, So for the next two weeks she was staying with us, I had somebody to watch them with and secretly drink beer with late at night while chatting about bands such as Poison, Motley Crue, and Aerosmith. It was quite exciting. One night, we were playing a sort of game similar to Truth or Dare, and she dared me to tell her the worst thing I'd ever done which to this day is still shoplifting a lip gloss from the store when I was 13 and getting caught. Then I rotted out my friends who were also stealing so I wouldn't be the only one in trouble. I then asked her the same question and her response was, I stabbed my mom and dad in their throats. I know I shouldn't have, but I just hated them so much. At first I was shocked and stunned into silence. Then I started laughing because that had to be a joke, right? She said, yeah, it was a joke. And then her and I both cracked up laughing at her weird sense of humor. When I got up the next morning, I went to have coffee and our guest was gone. I was a little bummed, but figured she would come visit again. Most guests came and stayed multiple times a year. About three years went by... I had dumped B not long after this happened and moved back in with my family. I searched for this girl on Facebook off and on throughout those few years and was never able to find her. Then, one day, my stepdad showed me a news story on Google homepage. It was about a couple who had been stabbed to death in their homes and that their daughter, the one who did it, was finally caught When I saw the picture of the girl, I recognized her instantly. It was my friend, and I never found her on Facebook because she gave me a fake name and a fake phone number. Followed in the dark and rain. I worked late evenings at a general store and had to walk home at the time because my car was being repaired at the shop. It was raining on and off for the entire day and I had to prepare myself for whatever mother nature decided to throw at me during my journey home. Once every couple of months, I visit a cemetery nearby where I live to place flowers next to my mother's grave. I had planned to do this in this evening after work, despite the weather forecast. I already had the flowers all nice and wrapped up and really wanted to stop by her grave. After my shift ended, I began walking. It's not that long of a walk from the town I work in to the cemetery, but it is a bit of a trek from the cemetery to my hometown next door, down a creepy road called High Street. The weather was breezy and the sky was cloudy, so any minute now I could expect it to begin raining. I hurriedly made my way up to the cemetery and by the time I reached it, it began to drizzle. I looked at my phone and noted the time. I heard the siren of the local fire department go off as I walked into the cemetery to find my mother's grave. After spiking the flowers down into the ground and kneeling down to quickly reminisce about my mother and say a few words, I got up and turned around towards the exit to leave the cemetery. I was past the first row of graves near the exit when I heard the sound of crunching leaves, branches and twigs. Being cautious, I stood there and waited about a minute in silence before exiting the cemetery and onto the street. Suddenly, it began to rain harder I had taken my chances and decided not to take an umbrella with me when I left for work, and now I was regretting it. Luckily, I was wearing a hooded sweater, so I put my hood up and began to power walk down the road towards the town I live in. I'm coming up to High Street, and now it's looking creepy. I mean, trees on both sides that look dead due to the lack of leaves, and the darkness of the night illuminated only by the brightness of a moon that Cannot be seen through the cloudy sky. I'm not far down High Street when I hear the sound of a couple of squeaky footsteps coming from behind me. I turned around but saw nobody in the darkness of the night, and I felt on edge as I continued to walk, all the while listening in behind me. The sound of the rainfall didn't do much to help me, unfortunately as it began to rain even harder now. I looked behind me a few times on the way down the road and saw nothing but water-soaked road and deathly trees. I can see my town in the near distance and feel a bit less edgy. Not long afterwards, though, I heard the familiar sound of somebody walking behind me. I thought about walking up to someone's house and pretending I lived there, but I had already passed them all by this point on the road. As I'm looking down towards town, a pickup truck comes turning onto the road and begins to speed up towards me. I quickly jump off to the side and luckily didn't fall into mud or anything. As I looked behind me to watch the truck speed off, my heart raced for a few seconds as I picked up myself and hurried my pace. I began to feel more fearful than before. If only I can get into town, then I'll feel safe. I began power walking again down towards town, all the while looking behind me to make sure no one was following me. And each time my eyes revealing the same darkness and trees. I made it down into town and hurriedly ran over to the laundromat where I saw two people inside. Once I was at the door, I looked behind me and saw somebody standing there, looking in my direction at the intersection where High Street ends now somewhat illuminated by a nearby streetlight. The only thing I could see was a shadow of a man carrying what looked like a drawstring bag in his hand. I watched as he turned around and walked back up High Street. I walked into the laundromat soaking wet and breathing heavily when an older woman and her husband turned around from what they were doing and asked me what was wrong. I told them that I was being followed and they looked at me with concern and asked if I wanted my clothes dried. I took off my sweater and gave it to them. My town borough has a local PD and I decided to dial them and let them know what had happened. Coincidentally, as I stepped outside to buy something out of the vending machine while simultaneously dialing the PD, I saw one of the borough's policemen coming down the road in my direction. I waved him down, and once he pulled up, I recounted my story. With a few head nods and a couple of questions, he drove off in the direction of High Street as I went back into the laundromat to wait for my sweater. Once it was done, I thanked the couple and finished walking home, and now, only drizzling rain. Traumatizing Night Shift. True Story. This is probably the creepiest, most unexplainable thing that has ever happened to me. I used to work overnight as a security guard at the local port. Usually, none of the port workers would stay overnight except for the safety official. I wouldn't be on the shift alone since the site has a radius of nearly two miles. Overnight, usually there would be three guards, including me. Since the area was fairly big, there were different posts, but Front Gate was the main entrance area where all of the guards would be stationed overnight since there was no need to put them in other posts due to the fact that there was no activity in the site at the time. The veteran guards that had been there for years would often say that the site was haunted given the fact that there have been accidents and deaths that occurred in the area a long time ago. I was aware that people died there due to freak accidents, and I do believe in angels and demons since I'm actually a religious person. But I always thought that the superiors were just messing with the new guys. I would work five to six nights out of the week, and for the first few weeks, I never really saw or heard anything out of the ordinary except for maybe a few questionable creaks and would see a few misplaced objects while doing my patrol rounds, but nothing too crazy. Just to describe the setting to you, this is a fairly big site and on occasions when there were big projects being constructed, the workers would sometimes stay overnight overnight. Due to the fact that there were times where port workers were required to stay at the port for a few days, there's a gym in sight for their convenience. This gym is fairly old. And in the gym, there's a sauna, weights, and even a racquetball court. If you don't know what racquetball court is, it's similar to an indoor tennis court with thin plastered walls and thick glass doors. Usually on our patrol rounds, me and one of the other guards, Mike, would stop by the gym and play a few rounds of racquetball before returning back to the front gate. On one of those nights, me and Mike decided to hit a full workout instead of playing racquetball in the cage. So this is around 2.30 a.m., and the entire building is so quiet that you can hear the electricity running through the lights. The air conditioner is off, and so is everything else. The only thing that's running are the lights. 15 to 20 minutes into the workout, we hear a loud thump. We crossed it off as nothing and continued working out. Then after a few more minutes, we hear the loud thump once more. At first we thought it was our lieutenant, which could have been walking around, but then we radioed him and he gave us his location, which was front gate. We tried thinking logically on what could be making those thumps on the wall. They were coming from the court on the other side. So we thought it was the air conditioner, but then we remembered that it was off. And even when it switched on during the day, there's no reports of thumps coming from the air conditioner. After a few more minutes, the thumps started occurring one right after another. We were very creeped out at this point, so... What we were about to witness still scares the absolute shit out of me until this day. We started to approach the other side of the gym to where the glass door was. We turned on the flashlight and aimed it towards the clear glass door, and I got chills all over my body, and I started tearing so much out of fear that I was about to cry. We saw one of the balls rolling slowly by itself inside the court, but there was no one in there. So that means the loud thumps were the balls mysteriously being tossed against the wall as if someone or something was playing inside the cage. We were both so confused and frightened to how this was really happening, we couldn't make sense of any of it. We were scared shitless and we started yelling and running away because we knew that there was probably something evil toying with us right there. As we sprinted full speed back to the front gate, the Lieutenant saw us and asked why we were tearing up and running in a ridiculous manner. We told him what we witnessed and his facial expression scared us even more. He then said, that's why there's always guards that quit often. There's something evil in the area and it's not the first time that something that bad has happened here. He then showed a security footage of dark figures and shadows literally passing through the office areas and lights mysteriously switching on and off. Till this day, I still get chills recounting my experience with my friends and family and I'm even getting chills right now as I'm typing this. I'd never had a real encounter with the supernatural until that night, and many say that it was a demonic presence messing around. Others say it was a ghost of a dead person who died in the area. I don't know what it was, but I didn't last long in the job after that. After three weeks of dating, things got weird. Back in my single days, I often tried online dating apps. I talked with this one guy in particular. For the sake of the story, I'll call him Tom. Tom and I started chatting after we matched, and it went well, so we progressed to talking over the phone. He had a nice voice, and I liked that he could carry on a conversation because I always feel sort of awkward with talking to people, and I have the problem of running out of things to say. My mind will draw a complete blank when I'm nervous. So having him talking to me on the other end of the line was a nice relief. After some successful phone conversations, we went on a couple of dates in person that were surprisingly very pleasant. We met up at a public venue, a couple of restaurants. We both had backgrounds in English and he was also a writer like me. So it was nice to have these interests in common. Our conversations were easy, in-depth, with the nice flow. And I invited him to a function in my community where he introduced himself to my neighbors, friends and family. They kind of looked at me questioningly, like, is this your new boyfriend? Raising their eyebrows. I told them, no, we're just friends who were still getting to know each other. It felt too soon for me to call him my boyfriend, but Tom said something different telling everybody that I was in fact his girlfriend I had to keep correcting him and I felt a little embarrassed and I regretted bringing him to the gathering overall we really only dated for about three weeks before things really started to get weird Tom was increasing his number of text messages and wanted to spend a lot more time with me asking to see me almost every single day And at first, I thought this was flattering. I enjoyed the attention and the feeling of being wanted. But at some point, I'm not sure when. It escalated to a really uncomfortable level. I remember just feeling smothered. He'd blow up my phone asking me what I was doing, but it didn't seem like he was asking in a normal, like, how are you kind of way. There was a controlling undertone to the question when I answered, he wanted to know every detail about where I was, what I was doing, what time I was doing it, etc. I considered that maybe he was just feeling insecure, that he would calm down with some time. On our next outing, I met up with him and my friend so we could go out to a bar and hang out. At some point, though, my friend wanted to leave because she wasn't feeling good. We said goodbye to Tom and I left the bar to take her home. When I checked my phone after arriving home late that night, I saw that I had a bunch of angry text messages from Tom about why didn't you kiss me goodbye and things like, you don't really like me, do you? I wrote back saying, I just had to take my friend home. I didn't know I was supposed to kiss you. Kissing shouldn't be an obligation. Sorry, I just didn't think about it because I was occupied. Can we let this go? I'm tired and I want to go to bed now. He said, okay, you're right, I'm sorry, please don't ghost me, okay, or something along those lines. I don't know why, but I just felt really weird, and he was way too clingy, and it worsened from here. Moving forward, whenever I talked to him, it seemed like he would be deliberately trying to initiate an argument or a fight. I'm not the confrontational type, and this was incredibly energy-draining for me to keep up with. Why does everything have to be an argument? I asked him. He explained how he grew up in an abusive household and that he was used to members of his family fighting and arguing all the time. This felt normal to him. I explained, well, I'm not used to this and frankly, it feels a little scary to me. People in my family talk things out calmly when we have disagreements. We don't raise our voices or jump to accusations or have temper tantrums. You're right, he said, but of course, this didn't change. I lost the spark. That initial attraction I had for Tom was gone. I actually felt repelled by him now. I decided I just couldn't see him anymore. I felt really sad and guilty for his life situation and the way he grew up, but at the same time, the roller coaster dynamic of our communication was really starting to take a toll on my own mental health. When I broke up with him, he threatened to commit suicide. I didn't know what to do, so I asked my parents and some of my old psychology course classmates for advice. Everyone advised me that Tom's mental instability wasn't my responsibility and that he needed to go seek help. He kept flooding me with messages on all my accounts. As I mentioned before, he was a writer, so he would send beautifully written, lengthy pleas for forgiveness. And I replied with, I really just need a break right now but he would ignore my wishes and keep trying. At one point, he sent me a photo of his dog, telling me his dog says, hi, I miss you. And that's when I thought, okay, this is weird and manipulative, so I'm gonna block him, and I did. I blocked him on everything, phone numbers, social media accounts, etc. When he couldn't reach me, he resorted to some drastic measures. He emailed my parents, yes, my parents, Why is he messaging us? My parents asked me. This feels weird and creepy. I don't know. I said honestly. He's pleading us to convince you to get back with him. I don't want to be involved in all of this. My mom said, I don't want you involved either. I said, my parents knew the whole ordeal already because I'd asked for their advice when he had threatened suicide. Our consensus was to offer no response. They proceeded to block him as well. Next, it was my friend who had gone with us to the bar. Uh, Tom is messaging me saying that you broke his heart or something, she informed me. What happened? Did you do something to him? I broke up with him. Don't respond. Just block him, I said. She obliged, but that wasn't the end of it. Then Tom reached out to my neighbors. I guess he remembered their names at that community function and memorized them all by heart. He reached out to each one of them with a lengthy, elaborate story about how we'd been together for at least six months and that we were passionately and madly in love. In this story, he portrayed himself as some kind of victim, like I was this villainous man eater or something weird. I don't know because I didn't want to read it. What did you do to this poor guy? I kept being asked over and over again by different neighbors. I was forced to keep repeating an explanation about what had happened. We only went out for a few weeks, I said, a month at the most. I advised them to please not respond or encourage him. Honestly, I'm a very private person, so having my whole community know about my situation was deeply humiliating to me. This went on for about a year, and I'd have someone tell me, Tom tried to reach out to me again. There was one older lady neighbor of mine that actually continued talking to Tom over email, even though I asked her to stop. She said, but he writes so beautifully and he's a a beautiful dark soul. The whole thing put a rift between her and her husband. So that was a thing. A separate neighbor told me she was afraid for my personal safety. She said, he seems like a stalker type like from those crime shows, which didn't do much to help my anxiety. I spent a lot of time indoors for a while after that. I felt withdrawn, insecure, deeply embarrassed, and most of all, scared. I felt like I had to look over my shoulder whenever I stepped outside of my home. Thankfully, he hasn't messaged me, my friends, parents, or neighbors again since. And I just hope it stays that way. saw something unsettling from my balcony. I recently moved out into an apartment building all the way up on the top floor. My balcony is at the back of the building and the view is mostly trees, but there's some houses in the street directly behind the apartment building, so I can see that too. Hopefully that makes sense. I usually sit out on my balcony at night getting high, and listening to music. At night, the view is just darkness aside from the house porch lights and the road lit up by the street light. Most of the road view is covered by trees, but I can see a good amount of it. There's also no light from my balcony, so at night I just sit in the dark aside from the light coming from my phone. So anyway, I was sitting out there at around 10 p.m. or so, like I usually do, and I noticed movement from the road when I looked down I saw someone running down the road like really fast from my distance it looked like this person was running faster than any human should I was just watching when this person just stopped under a street lamp and under the light I could tell this person was a man I also realized this person was now looking up at me I got nervous, but I didn't move because I thought I could just be overthinking and maybe this guy wasn't actually looking at me. How could he? My phone wasn't on, so I was pretty much sitting in complete darkness. Could he really see me all the way from down there? I just kept sitting there hoping the guy would leave, but then I saw him waving at me. Now I knew he was looking at me, I was too uncomfortable to do anything. I couldn't even go back inside. I just sat there, getting increasingly nervous. My thoughts started running wild. I thought this guy might find my apartment and try to break in. I also thought he would somehow just sprint forward and climb up the building to get me or something. But as I kept staring at this guy waving at me, a sudden feeling of dread came over me. That was when I started grabbing my things to go back inside, but then I saw that he stopped waving. He reached both his arms out to the side and started swaying his body side to side, bending his knees as he moved and was wiggling his arms around like a weird dance move. At this point, I was incredibly unsettled and just wanted to get back inside, but I also was slightly intrigued in a way and I guess I wanted to see what he might do next. Soon, the feelings of dread and unease took over and continued closing up all my stuff and I went inside. There was a window in the room next to the balcony where you could see down to the same area so I peeked outside trying to stay hidden behind the wall. I saw this guy still moving around side to side but he soon stopped and I saw him just start booking it down the road again. I made sure my front door was locked and I went back to my room, locking the bedroom door as well. My bedroom window looks out into the same direction, so I made sure the guy was gone and closed my curtains. I did not really sleep that night. I couldn't shake the uneasy feeling I had. This happened a couple nights ago and I haven't seen this guy since then. I've still been sitting out on the balcony, but I've been getting really paranoid when I'm out there, so I don't stay out as long as I used to. I don't really know what to make of this whole thing. I don't know who that guy was or maybe what he was. I get really uncomfortable and paranoid when I think about that night, like I'm back in that moment, feeling those exact same feelings again. Also, since then I get occasional waves of dread like at times throughout the day I just get the feeling that I'm being watched I hope this feeling goes away soon and I'm really hoping I don't ever see that guy again I work for a company who does contract work exclusively for the U.S. Forest Service in surveying areas for invasive plants. And we basically travel all over the forest in SoCal, even in areas that were off limits to the public. So my crew at work is basically between five and six people every day, the same people, for 10 hours a day, four days a week. Like I said before, we swept through the forest area by area, combing for invasive plants to track on GPS and remove. I remember one day when I first started, we came across this abandoned area where there had obviously been some sketchy stuff going on. We used to park the car in a turnaround across from it and eat lunch and several cars would drive into the area over the curb because the main driveway was blocked with a big metal gate. People got out of their cars, some walking their dogs, some to take pictures, some for picnics, and some people just carried stuff and disappeared into the area. For a while, we kind of skipped over the area because, according to my boss, no invasive plants had ever been tracked in that area, so we never really went in there. Nevertheless... It was still sketchy as hell because we would constantly drive by and see people dumping things. What ended up happening was the crew got called to another part of the forest for a while and we were probably out of that area for around a few months, only coming back sporadically. But we drove down that same road every day and still saw cars parked there and stuff being dumped. So one day my boss tells us that we need to walk the almost seven mile stretch of road that day to check it out. And he asked for volunteers to cover the sides of the road which cuts through a narrow canyon probably only 500 feet wide. That specific area was on the right side of the road. So I volunteered to go right with two other coworkers with plans on checking the area out extensively. We took our tools with us, which consisted of hoes, some folding saws, and Pulaski's, basically a two headed ax with a pick on the other end. Additionally, I was wearing my Kukri knife on my belt. So we started walking into that area and I'm scanning all the sites. There's a bunch of abandoned shit laying everywhere like refrigerators, some storage shelves, and broken glass everywhere. There were also several holes in the ground that were perfect squares cut into concrete and they went pretty far down. They weren't that big, probably about four by four. So we keep walking back and I see these rags scattered on the ground that had some red stains on them. They were next to a big pile of dirt that was covered with stones and half a skateboard was sticking out at the top of the pile. There was a wooden cross nearby, and I'm thinking, is this a grave? So I called the other two guys over, and we read the writing on the skateboard, and it was the burial site for something that was once called Diamond. I couldn't make out the years on it, but the grave was big, maybe like three or four feet long. One of my coworkers thought it was an animal grave, but that didn't explain the Bloody rags nearby. I chalked it up to a pet grave of somebody that walked their dog in that area and moved on. We keep pushing through, and I'm seeing tons of invasive plants everywhere. I'm reading off the names to my coworker who is putting them into the GPS unit when we see a building tucked into a corner of the area. So we walk back there, and there's a tiny opening between the rocks, barely noticeable from the road and it turns out to be a whole other canyon branched off. We check the map and sure enough, there is a canyon where all of these invasive plants could be coming from. After noting this in GPS, we go to check out the building. It's about the size of half of a shipping container and is clearly abandoned. Door was slightly opened, so I reached out with the hoe and pried the door open. Pitch black. My coworker takes out his phone and shines the light in there, and there was some weird shit in there. There were porn magazines scattered all over the floor, pillows and blankets, as well as children's clothing, I backed up and started walking back to the road and my coworkers were giving me shit about it, but I'm not about to see what else might be in there. When I get back in view of the road, there is a truck in the area and it's not one of ours. I don't see anyone using the picnic area and the weird thing is, the truck had driven over the curb to bypass the gate and was parked in a secluded area. It didn't look like anybody was in the truck or around it, so I just stayed in the clearing and waited for my coworkers. When they finally got to my spot, I pointed out the truck to them and they said he was probably hanging out in the old bathroom building, which was just off the main road. They wanted to go in and check it out and I sure as shit was not going to leave them and be alone, so I followed them over. They went into the men's room whose door had literally been kicked down by somebody and apparently there was a ton of porn and children's clothing in there too with pillows and blankets. There was a small hole that had been cut into the wall leading into the small storage room and it sounded like they were going to try and crawl into the room from the bathroom to check it out. At this point, I was standing outside the building on the other end of the door to the storage room and I shit you not, I hear the doorknob jiggle. At that moment, my coworkers came running out of the men's bathroom, and one of them grabs his Pulaski, brings it up, and bashes the shit out of the door handle and the area around the door to the storage room. 10 to 15 seconds later, we see a man sprint out of the bathroom and run back further into the area that we first had been exploring where the building was. Apparently, This is what happened. One of my coworkers stuck his head through the cutout hole in the men's bathroom looking into the storage room. It was pitch black, so he used his phone flashlight and lit the area up and saw the man in there alone in the corner in the dark. There were boxes lined up on the shelves and pillows and blankets all over the floor. It startled him so much that he ran out and the guy that was there ran out as well. We ended up radioing some of the hotshot firefighters who had a nearby station for support. And they sent a few guys and literally took a chainsaw to the door and set up a floodlight and the whole room was filled with boxes of child porn magazines and children's clothing. We told them where the man ran off to in the other building. And so they went to check that out as well. Open the door, floodlights on, And the creepiest thing out of the entire experience was that the building actually went further back into the dirt of the adjacent hills. The firefighters checked their topography maps, and sure enough, there was a bunker. And ain't nobody going that far into that place. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. It is spooky season. So share this with your friends. If you have friends who need to get in the mood or they generally like this content, this genre, send it to friends. Um, It really means a lot to me. If you have already rated me five stars, thank you. Thank you. And if you have not, and you're really enjoying the show, go ahead and click the five star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. And it does make a difference, a huge difference. So And if you have your own spooky stories to share, send them to me at blameitonthealiens at gmail.com or you can click the link in the description and send in a voice message. So I would really appreciate that. Would love to share them on the show. And I will be back with another creepy episode next week.